Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Linda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him radio show. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and the title of my message today is The Esau Syndrome. I have on the show with me today my good friend, Ray Bergman, and we're going to be talking about what it looks like when God's judgments come and what it looked like in the past in biblical times when God's judgment came, because I want y'all to see some things in that. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you, Glenda. It's always great being here. It's great having you back. By the way, during the course of the podcast, we got some prophetic messages for some of you listeners, and we'll be reading those. And we may get more even as we're doing the podcast. A lot of times God will speak to us even as we're doing the podcast. And these words may be for one person, but they're often for more than one person. So if you hear a word and it sounds like God is speaking to you, then that word is for you. And it's a good thing to take it to heart. Okay, so the purpose of this show and what I want y'all to get from this is I want to show you that God does not change. Whenever he hands down judgment on a nation that has turned wicked and that has turned away from his ways, he does it in very specific ways. And he will judge all nations in this time by the same rules. His word is absolute. The rules are the same for everybody. Y'all have heard me say that a lot of times. And just as he did not spare Israel from his judgments, he will not spare any other nation which means he will not spare America. So first I want to talk briefly about what I call the Esau syndrome. We see a lot of the Esau syndrome around us right now. And there was a lot of Esau syndrome in different times in the past too. In Noah's time, there was, and in Lot's time, there was, and at some other times as well, I'm sure. So let's talk about what this is. We all know that Esau and Jacob were the sons of Isaac, which means they were Abraham's grandsons. Jacob was a godly man, but Esau was more worldly, according to what we're shown in the scripture. Esau, like a lot of people around us, was only concerned for that day, like right now. When he came in from hunting, he was really hungry and he was tired, and he traded his double portion, firstborn birthright, which was a very big deal, to Jacob for a bowl of Texas chili, y'all. Esau was not concerned about giving away God's blessings. Do we see people giving away God's blessings today? I think that we do. Y'all can leave a comment if you agree or if you see it another way. How could we give away God's blessings? Why would we ever do that? And what are some ways that people might be giving away God's blessings? Okay, if you're locked down on your wallet and refusing to tithe an offer, then you're giving away blessings of ease and more than enough, no matter what is going on in the world, because... I will tell you from experience, and I'm only going to mention this briefly because we're not going to get into tithing like this today, but when you become a tither and you tithe and offer all the time on all your increase, your life becomes easier because God helps you with the things that you were struggling with before, and he makes sure that you have enough, and then you begin to have more than enough. And then you just, I don't know, you settle into a life of not having to be afraid all the time that you can't pay the light bills. What I'm saying, because God starts helping you and he sends you blessings and he sends people to bless you. And he, you know, gets you raises at your job and whatever. And he also will protect the people that you love. 
Y'all have heard me tell this story before on the show, but I'll tell it again briefly. There was a story I heard a long time ago on one of John Hagee's teaching tapes where he talked to, he was talking about tithing. And he said that one night when his daughter was very young, they were at a movie theater somewhere. And I think they had come, the, the wife and the daughter had come out of the restroom or something like that. And he was standing there waiting for them or something like that. And all of a sudden they looked up and they couldn't find the daughter and she was real little. And they had them locked down the theater. Well, they found her and the Lord, I believe he said the Lord spoke to him and said, you know, that this day have I rebuked the devourer for your sake. So that is part of the tithing blessing too. We all want the people we love to be protected, don't we? So I just wanted to mention that. Another way that people give away God's blessings is if they're giving away their body night after night to someone they're not married to and not putting any value on purity, they're giving away God's power flowing through them because the amount of his power that flows through you is directly proportionate to the amount of purity you walk in. And that's going to be a very big deal in the revival, the worldwide final harvest revival that's starting up. And, you know, I know that the world puts a very little value on purity and thinks nothing of giving away not only their bodies, but even their virginity. But God views those things as very sacred. In fact, when a woman loses her virginity, the blood that is shed seals the marriage covenant in the same way the blood of Jesus sealed the new covenant in Luke twenty two twenty, which says, likewise, he also, talking about Jesus, took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. That giving away of what is sacred is exactly like what Esau did. It is the Esau syndrome. It is treating something meant to be a great blessing as though it is worthless. Basically, the Esau syndrome is being concerned with the things of the world, not the things of God. Being concerned about flesh and what you feel and having fun now, you know, instead of doing what's right and having a good life later. One of the things Ray and I have continually talked about is building your faith for what is coming. We live in a time like no other, make no mistake. If you can't tell already, you'll be able to tell. The time of the end will bring unbelievable challenges and events of an intensity we have never even dreamt of. The only thing that will help anyone in that time is their faith in the Lord and his assistance in answer to that faith. We were talking about that recently and comparing how, you know, it takes a lot of faith to tithe, especially in times when you don't have a lot. And when I talk about tithing, I want y'all to understand something. I'm not talking about this to get you to tithe to me or to Ray. I'm talking about it because tithing is a faith issue. It is not a money issue. People think it's a money issue. It's not. It is a faith issue. Every time you tithe an offer or you don't, that is your answer to God asking, do you trust me? Do you trust me? If you cannot trust him with your money, which is actually his money, that 10%, how are you going to trust him to feed you when you don't take the mark? Let me answer that question for you. You're not. So that is something I want y'all to think about because in what is coming, the one thing that's going to help you more than anything else is knowing and trusting your God. The time to build that intimacy and that trust is now, not later. I'm just saying. Amen. That's spot on, Glenda. And by the way, um, you know, that's going to be important in what's coming because they're about to make the money completely digital. And I have seen something recently where they're looking at ending cash, possibly as early as December. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. And 
so you can look that up. We have Executive Order 14067. And the headline for this says, Will paper currency really end in the United States on December 13th, 2022 and be replaced by government-controlled cryptocurrency? You know, Glenda, when I pay my internet, I'm already getting offers constantly. Oh, the government wants to help you. They want to help you here. Here's, do you want to take this 30, 40% discount? Oh yeah. They really want to help us. All right. Right. Yeah. They want to control it. And, um, well, it's not just that there's the gas prices. So the idea, and, and we've talked about this back in May, but the idea is to gradually wear everything down. And actually, it's happening now at a more increased rate than it was before. I mean, inflation, all these things they're doing, all these bailouts, all these things that are happening, like they just eliminated student debt. What was it yesterday? It was in the news. Yeah. What they're essentially saying is they're get used to the high gas prices because the new world order is here. We're transitioning to the new world order and you should like it. And we've talked about Klaus Schwab before. You will own nothing and be happy. And that's their goal. They want that is the goal. They want to break everybody. Yeah. But like you were just saying, it does not matter. You need to remain faithful to the Lord through all of it. Because if you're planting the seeds now, that's going to matter later. It is going to matter. And you know, this isn't the first time we've talked about this. So, you know, you're uh, right on about what you were saying just a bit ago. And this is why, again, plant those seeds, keep planting seeds and be grateful. Be grateful. You could be doing well today. And lose it all tomorrow. And by the way, that's what happens when you go into a wilderness. You know, it's, pro- it's probably also happens when your nation turns communist, which is what is happening. That too. And didn't you even receive um, some sort of word that a lot of people were going to be going into a wilderness at some point? I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Did. Yeah. I think it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. And then the Lord also said that he was taking a lot of people into the wilderness to try to, you know, get them ready. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be partly uh, that and part of it's going to be the judgment. And I know that's part of what you wanted to talk about today. Yeah. So I want to talk to you all about how and why God judges nations. We know that Jesus is coming back to judge all nations because the word says he is in Matthew 25, 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Hosea 5 talks about the Lord judging Israel. You know, Ray, a lot of people believe God would never dare to judge America. But that always makes me laugh. Are you kidding me? I don't want to offend you, but it's not like we're a a holy, pure Christian nation like we were when the country was first founded. There were like 20 people here. You know, it's pretty obvious, Glenda, if you look out there, you can see all the things that are causing the judgments, what they're doing with the children, the perversion, um, you know, unjust wages, unjust treating widows, you know, raising people's rents when they can't already afford it. You know, just all these things that are causing it, making it impossible for people to live. Oppressing the poor. Yeah. Take a look around you and then read in your Bible about the sins that God judges. And it will be obvious to you. He is not a man that he should lie. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to tell you all a story. An umpire named Babe Pinelli once called Babe Ruth out on strikes. When the crowd booed with sharp disapproval at the call, the legendary Ruth turned to the umpire with disdain and said, there's 40,000 people here who know that the last pitch was a ball. Suspecting that the umpire would erupt with anger, the coaches and players braced themselves for Ruth's ejection. However, the cool-headed Pinelli replied, Maybe so, babe, but mine is the only opinion that counts. We all as believers need to realize that in God's judgments, his is the only opinion that counts. And resist the temptation 
to argue over the disappointments when they start happening because we will be disappointed, y'all. We wish that they weren't coming, but they are. In Hosea chapter 5, God's judgment results in three things, rebuke, retribution, and repentance. Allow me to expound briefly on this to increase your understanding. Hosea 5, verses 1 through 7. Hear this, O priests. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to Mizpah and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God. For the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. With their flocks and herds shall they go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. This is addressed to the religious leaders, the nation in general, and the royalty. It is especially directed to the religious and governmental leaders who have been leading the nation into its sin. And it sounds like it could be written for here, don't it? For America, the nation has been wholly given over to idolatry. Though they may try to hide their true condition, God sees them for what they are, wholly given over to idolatry. When they do come to the end of themselves and finally seek God with their sacrifices and religious formality, they are not able to find him because in judgment, he has withdrawn himself from them. Precious Lord, may we never live to see the day you withdraw from us because we're undone when you do. Retribution. That's verses 8 through 14. Blow the ram's horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at beth Look behind you, O Benjamin. Now, beth means house of wickedness, by the way. beth means house of God. beth means house of wickedness. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth and to the house of Judah like rottenness. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerob. Yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear them and go away. I will take them away and no one shall rescue. God's retribution must fall. The judgment heaped upon the north will be so severe that it will even endanger the tribes in the south. That's verse eight. Because of their willful forsaking of God and wholesale turning to idols, things will not get better for them. When both the northern and southern kingdoms saw their sad condition, they realized they needed help, but went to the wrong source to get it. That's why he was saying he can't heal you. The king can't heal you. Instead of going to God, they went to the king of Assyria, who was powerful in man's sight, but was totally helpless before God. Verse 15 shows the repentance. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Now, I want you all to think about this because this is something that he showed me long ago. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. That's what he does with the wilderness too. He allows you to become afflicted 
to cause you to truly seek him instead of just, you know, maybe you read your verse of the day and go on about your day. He wants our whole hearts. He wants our full devotion. He wants us to constantly seek his face and know what he's thinking about and know what he wants us to be doing. And most people are not doing that. So he will afflict us until we do. That's a scary thought. And once the affliction starts, he doesn't back down until you fully seek him. So I'm just letting you know, once it starts, you can't back out of it. And you and I have talked about that many, many times. And that is not yeah. a pleasant place to be, yeah. by the way. Oh, it's it's really not. You don't want to be afflicted because the way you get afflicted is things get taken away from you. People get taken away from you. Anything that comforts you gets taken away from you. And you feel like you're in the middle of a hot, dry desert with nothing for comfort, nothing at all. Okay, so moving along, the first time I can find in the Bible there was a judgment handed down is the story of Noah, which we know is where the whole world had turned against God's ways. In Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 1, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men. For that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So there was an unnatural type of mating taking place in Noah's day, which was a type of perversion. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There were giants in the earth that were mating with humans. God chose Noah to raise up as a deliverer. Noah was a deliverer. He was going to deliver his family out because God did not find anyone else righteous enough to save. God warned the world. We know this because Noah, it is said in 2 Peter 2.5, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. It took him a hundred years to build the ark. Nobody is going to convince me he was not warning everybody he knew while he was hammering those nails, okay? When they were saying, hey, Noah, what are you doing? He was building a boat. Nobody, had, I don't think anybody had, had a boat at that point. I don't know. Because it, I don't think it had... Had it rained at that point, Ray? Because I don't remember. No, at least not in biblical terms, it didn't. Okay. And because when you are a preacher, you got to preach. You can't help it. So here are three things that I continually find over and over as I read the stories in the Bible of different nations that were judged. I find, number one, the people were warned. I find, number two, that God saved a remnant of the people, the righteous ones. He don't save the wicked ones. In this case, Noah and his family. And I find number three, that God raised up a deliverer to affect it all. And by the way, somebody said on the internet, I don't remember where I saw this, but they said somebody had predicted or prophesied a tsunami was going to destroy the East Coast. And somebody posted or said, oh, that can't happen because God made that promise. No, God did not promise that he was not going to destroy the East Coast ever again. He said he was not going to destroy the world again by water okay. many i want to interject there for just a moment hold hold your thought yes. glinda because you know i have seen a lot of uh, individuals who have had dreams about that and they have seen something coming in that hits the ocean or it's caused by an earthquake perry stone just a few days did a whole thing um he uh, had talked about a tsunami hitting seattle he said a seattle He's facing a judgment i don't know if you saw that 
No, I didn't see the one on Seattle. I did see uh, he he's been seeing the one hitting the East Coast for a few years now, I think. And Perry doesn't say it unless he's sure that he's sure that he's sure that he's sure. He's like his, his dad was on that. Yep. Well, we've talked about the warning shot also many times, Glenda. And I know that we didn't we yeah. weren't going to talk about that today. Maybe we can get into that in part two. But that could be um, tied to the warning shot because that would be an event if you think about it. That would affect the entire world. It would affect commerce. It would affect shipping. It would affect travel. The warning shot judgment that's going to come before the first major, major judgment comes is going to be something that affects everyone worldwide. An asteroid or something landing in one of the big oceans and causing tsunamis on both sides could do that. It could do that. If something caused, you know, because the tsunamis would go out in more than one direction, probably if something like that hit. I mean, it seems like it would. I think it'll be a celestial event of some sort or something to do with celestial. Okay. So the second story I found of judgment on a nation was in Exodus. It was the story of Moses in Egypt. God raised up a deliverer, Moses. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. That's Exodus three, verse two. Okay. The warnings. Moses said, let my people go. You know, he was telling Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. Let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh would always be very prideful. Why should I listen to your God? And then in Exodus 5, 2, and Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Yeah, he really did not know the Lord for sure. That much was obvious because he would have had fear if he'd known him. Moses continued to warn. Pharaoh continued to be prideful and resist. And by the time it was all done, Egypt was in bad shape, y'all. The locusts had come. The hail had fallen, destroyed all of their crops. There was death of every firstborn male, including Pharaoh's. And on top of that, when the Red Sea parted, all of Pharaoh's army was killed in the Red Sea. Plus, they lost all that silver and jewelry that they had loaned to the Hebrews when they went, you know, to worship. So, yeah, that was bad. Another thing that I found in studying the judgments of the nations is that God continually made covenants with the righteous. With Noah, we find that covenant in Genesis chapter 9, verse 13. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it goes on. And I love what Perry Stone said about the rainbow. He said, anytime you see the rainbow, you can never see more than half of it, but God has the other half. In Deuteronomy 28.1, you'll find the covenant that was made with the Israelites. It's called the blessing and cursing chapter. And it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe and do all his commandments, which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. And it goes on. And incidentally, it's very obvious that some of the things that are brought upon the nations that defy God when the judgments fall are in the cursing part of that chapter. Now, one note as I talk about these nations that judgment fell on, I'm excluding the nations that God led Israel to conquer because we have so little information on them. I mean, the ones that they destroyed as they went in, you know, to take their promised land, we don't really know very much about them. Speaking of Noah, the word of God says in Matthew 24 that when Jesus returns, the world will be like it was in Noah's day. In Matthew 24, 37 and 38, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, 
They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And Ray, you did uh, shows called Get Into the Ark. That made me think of that. That's because the Lord put it on my heart several months ago now, actually starting back in April when we first did that first episode. And then uh, many rounds and I did a second show about that. God's not playing around here. Okay. He's not playing around. And it has He's been getting, not. and have you not noticed it has gotten worse? And do you remember? You and I did a show last June called The White Horse Rides. What's happening now? Yeah, yeah, the conquering is happening. So The White Horse is the conqueror. Yeah. So people can sit there and laugh if they think that this is entertainment, but everything that has been prophesied is starting to play out. It is. You know, one of the main assurances that people want about the time we're going into is that the Lord will protect them from the evil that will be rampant in the world. Because let me tell you something. The invading armies, the you know, all the things that are coming, the lack of food, all of that, that's only part of the danger. Whenever a country collapses, there is great lawlessness. And when lawlessness comes, the people who are wicked and evil go around doing whatever they want to do to everyone else. So I'm just telling you. And that's already happening, by the way, in certain places. Uh, oh, that's horrible. But everybody wants assurances about, you know, oh, is God going to protect me? Is he, you know, from... And what about ungodly leaders and from the coming destruction? Ungodly leaders are one of his judgments. Putting wicked leaders in place is one of the judgments that God brings when a nation turns from him. So God is going to protect his own like he did in every one of those judgments. But let's consider something. In Noah's time, as soon as the Lord God had his people protected in the ark, the judgment on the world let loose. In Sodom and Gomorrah, in Lot's time, as soon as the Lord God had his people protected in the cave, the judgment on that region let loose. So that's two witnesses. And by two witnesses, the thing is established. So I believe that we can see a pattern of how God protects his own people during judgment. He'll put them someplace where they're safe, like into the ark. And then he's going to let the judgment go on everybody that refused to repent and refused to do what's right. Everybody that turned reprobate and turned away from him. They're going to be in the judgments, and they're going to suffer whatever happens where they're at. That's when he said, come in off the worldly playground and get yeah. into the ark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but all those other people, those who are drinking and partying, just doing whatever they want, whatever they wanted in Noah's time and in Lot's time, they perished. That was the end of the party for them. This should tell you something if you're paying attention and not buying the lies of the enemy. And the enemy is going to tell you, oh, there's everything's fine. There's plenty of time. People have been saying the end is coming for, you know, however many hundreds of years. Yeah, they have been. But never before have we seen the things that we are seeing now. Never before was the technology in place. The technology was not here. No. So God has always drawn a very clear line between those who live for him and walk in his ways and those who do not. Those who care nothing for the things of God, like Esau. So let me tell you this. Do not think that you can run with the devil now and shack up with your significant other and commit a fornication or adultery every night and go around lying and cheating on your time at work, cheating on your taxes, breaking the commandments and putting up ungodly posts and jokes and memes on your pages that glorify sin and glorify Satan and live carelessly and act like the devil and then have God protect you in what's coming. Don't think it. He won't do it. And the proof is all over the scripture, everywhere you look. He's very consistent in this, very consistent. He will protect his own who are acting like his own. You cannot call yourself a Christian 
and act like the devil and think God's going to protect you through this. He's not going to do it. I'm trying to tell you now because it, when that time comes, it's going to be too late. Okay? You're going to be taken in the judgments and turned into hell. And there is no exit door down there. And he is not going to save you out of there if you were living for the devil. You can serve your flesh or you can serve your God. But if you serve your flesh, it is your God. No elections come in to save you either. No political savior is going to help you. I wish they could, but they can't. I see some of you listening saying, yes, God will protect me. Let me set this straight for you. I don't want you to have false expectations. And at the last minute, what you think is coming does not happen because I've seen again and again and again in the spirit, the falling away that is coming. In this time, this has been planned by the enemy, okay? When this all starts happening and the judgments start falling and God does not protect you and you think he was going to protect you, what I have seen again and again is people just abandoning their faith because Satan will say, see, a loving God would never do that. He would never do that. And so then they defect over to the dark side and they trade their soul. They give up their soul because what they wanted to happen did not happen. So let me share with you how I know that God will not protect you in that time when he is going to protect some people. And please understand, I am not trying to scare you. I'm trying to warn you while there is still time. If I see you about to step out into the street in front of a speeding car, should I just watch you do that and not warn you when there's still enough time to avert tragedy? I'm trying to warn you. What you do with the warning is up to you. Proverbs 123. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. This verse was given in a message in tongues when my husband and I visited my aunt and uncle's church in Farmersville, Texas, when I was 18 years old. A message in tongues was given from the Lord. The interpretation was this verse. And though I did not know anything about messages in tongues back then, I knew it was for me and I never forgot it. And always tried to do it, to turn when he reproved me. To turn at God's reproof means when he shows you you are in sin, stop sinning and turn back to him. Repent and he will help you give up that sin. Proverbs 124, because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. This means the Lord is calling out to you, but you are refusing his help. Who would refuse his help? Someone who loves their sin too much to give it up. Someone who prefers the pleasure of their sin to the holiness of God, to living right, to doing right. You know, a lot of people say things like, oh, I could never live without that. I could never give up doing this drug or having sex or whatever. That is your choice, okay? Just understand that if you keep making that choice now, your choices will be taken away then. And you will be reminded, I told you this. Y'all, I'm trying to help you. I don't want to see any of us suffer. I pray every day I won't miss something in my own life and end up suffering in that time. But you have to understand all sin is idolatry. It is preferring something else over God. And you are not going to spend your days and your nights worshiping another God and then have the one true God, the only real God, show you mercy then. If you want mercy then, do what is right now. Please understand me on this. I'm trying to save you a lot of misery. There won't be any comfort at all here in this time. And the people who refuse to be corrected now, who refuse to give up their sin, those who keep believing Satan's lies that, oh, there's plenty of time, everything's fine. You don't have to give up that sin yet. You need to think about this. Okay, this is a word for somebody. 
there's somebody listening to this right now. You are living this way. I think you're a male, but the Lord is showing me this applies to more than one listener. You have believed Satan's lies that there's plenty of time. And in fact, you're kind of laughing at this podcast. I'm actually surprised you're listening to it at all. But maybe it's just something to laugh about later when you're having drinks with the guys. You believe you don't even have to think about giving up your fornication and your bisexual fantasies and your drinking and your locker room jokes. The Lord is showing me that no, you don't have to. You can keep on sinning and then going to church on Sunday to put in a good appearance for your community connections. You can just go on like you are, but he is showing me that if you do go on like you are, if you roll the dice, that now is not the time of the end. If you roll the dice that you can repent at the last minute so you can keep all your sins now, there is something coming in your life like a car accident or a disease or illness or something. I see you lying very still in a hospital bed that is going to render you unable to repent in the time just before God takes the last of his people home. And you are going to be left behind to suffer more intensely than anything you have ever seen or thought about because you refuse now to turn at his reproof. Think about that. Do you really think the Lord is going to let you just keep sinning and adding more wickedness to the world and later pretend to be repentant and escape that? That's not real repentance. Real repentance means to turn around and go the other way. The tribulation was designed for people who think like you do. I'm just saying. The horrors of the tribulation were ordained with you in mind, designed to help you truly repent. Okay? Moving right along. Proverbs 125. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. To set at naught all of God's counsel means you place no value on what his word says. It means you disregard his word and count it as nothing. Jesus and the word are one and the same. Do you know how serious that is in his eyes? Proverbs 126, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. A calamity is an overwhelming disaster, an event that is so large, so heavy that it crushes you, that you have no power against it. Let's say you live out in California or someplace subject to earthquakes and one begins to shake the earth and it shakes harder and harder and buildings begin crumbling and the road starts buckling and you're on that road. You can do nothing to stop it. You become afraid. I've only felt earthquake movement a couple of times, and they were very, very small ones. And I have no shame in telling you it scared the daylights out of me. I was raised in Texas where we don't usually get that. That's coming. What? There's going to be a major fault rupture at some point on the West Coast. I'm not sure if it's volcanic or just earthquakes, but there's going to be something big. I don't doubt that. We take for granted that the earth beneath our feet is going to stand still and gravity hold us in place, but that is not always going to be the case in this time. Okay, this is a word for somebody. I see a really pretty blonde woman. Your hair is in some kind of ponytail, but you have bangs and like other hair hanging down. You're really pretty. And you're laughing at the podcast. You're laughing at the very idea you could possibly be judged. I think you're laughing at the idea that anyone could be great enough to judge you. The Lord says to you, laugh, laugh while you can, because soon coming in your time is a season where you will not laugh at all. You will run and hide continually for you will be sought out because of your beauty, because you are really pretty. And I see that all those who chase you mean to take what they want from you and there is no one to protect you. The beauty I, the Lord, blessed you with. 
the beauty you have been so prideful about all these years will become a curse to you because you have laughed at my words this day. Y'all, could I just say God is not playing here? He is not playing around. Proverbs 127, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Proverbs 128, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me, but they shall not find me. 129, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. 130, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. This is a word for somebody. There's a man listening and the Lord says, the verse I just read describes you. You have truly despised all his reproof. You have no intention whatsoever of giving up any of your sin. You laughed that the Lord's word would even suggest you give up anything that you want to do. Proverbs 131, sir, foretells your future. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. You will be given over to the fruit of your own ways and be filled with your own devices. That word devices also means counsel. You have refused the counsel of the Lord God Almighty available to us all through his holy word and followed your own counsel. You are full of your own counsel like all prideful people are, so you will now be given over to that. Proverbs 132, for the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. 133, but whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Very serious words. Very serious words. You know, Glinda, I talked about choices that will need to be made going forth back in June. And I know you have also recently received some prophetic words on that within the last week or two. Many may be aware of that, but I would like to read a word that you posted years ago, if I may. Absolutely. Okay, so the name of this message is called, Why Do You Play Still? And you initially posted this on January 18th of 2012. I remember that word. The enemy desires to sift you as wheat, my children. Do you not see the times at hand? Do you not know what hour it has become? Why do you not make yourselves ready for my son's return to the earth? Why do you play still in the world and neglect your time with me and your time in my word? All my children who neglect these things shall suffer terrible consequences in the times to come. You do not realize all that is about to happen, my little ones, and I cannot reveal all to you, but heed my warning. Do not neglect your time with me, nor your time in my holy word, for then you shall truly be unprepared for all that is about to transpire on the earth. And you know, Glenda, I went over that earlier when I was talking about what's going to happen just with the financial markets. That's not including the other judgments coming. That is so true. But the verses that you had tied to this, uh, starting on Psalm 119, verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It guides you in the right direction, in other words. That's my favorite verse in the entire Bible. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Matthew 4, 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know, on that verse right there alone, Matthew 4, verse 4, 
by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I had done a separate podcast on that um, like a month or two ago called What Do You Believe? And in that, I was saying it's what you believe and what you decree. If bad things start to happen because you keep doing what you shouldn't be doing, and then you keep decreeing the impossible, well, then that's what you're going to be faced with is the impossible. True. And you, when you're in lack, you can use your words to bring what you need. That's correct. You and just have to, you have to decree it according to what God says in his word. But if you don't know what he says in his word, you're not going to know what to decree in that time. You're not going to know how to decree. You know, if I remember correctly, I think that you and I did a show um, on that back in November also. I, I, I think I, you're right. See, we did it. We talked about it on one of the shows, I know. Yeah, we did. But Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's exactly what we were just yep. saying. Yep, that is exactly. And you know, Glenda, I've talked many times and even commented on these words before and have asked, where is the body at? What are they doing? They're playing. What does everybody think that I was trying to say when I said, get off the playground? The Lord's saying, get off the playground. He wants his people oh, well to come said. to him. Get off the playground. I like that. And so in regards to what you were just talking about, I'd like to reference Romans 1, verses 24 through 32. And I'm going to read from the New King James here. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Can I say something there at the end of that verse? That right there is talking about just giving your body away. Yep. Just giving it away. Letting Satan deceive you and just doing whatever you want. Yep. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. That's reprobate. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. And you just had a word just a day or two ago about being grateful and merciful. And that's all goes in with planting the seeds, by the way. Verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Why is that important? Let's note verse 32 again, approving of those who practice them. That is the sin of complacency, which I've spoken on many times before. So that's not just my opinion there. That is biblical. That's just a little FYI, you know, in case anybody didn't know. It is. And let's look at a few others. Psalm 50, verse 18. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. Proverbs 28, verse 4. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. That means you don't just go along with it unless, of course, you enjoy the evil, which then if you do, you're not choosing Jesus. And if you choose Jesus, you shouldn't be going along with it. Jesus said, quoting Luke, Chapter 11, verse 48, in fact, 
you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Yeah, that's good. You know, there's, a, there's verses in Jeremiah, I believe it's Jeremiah 16, as a side note, that talk about don't pray for these people any longer. You know why it says God, that? God's actually spoken that to me before about somebody. I'm yeah. not even kidding. Yeah, it'll stop a couple, of, a couple of different times, people that had gone reprobate and he put them under judgment. Because people he said, do no, stop praying for them. Yeah, he said so. And I said, Lord, are we supposed to pray for you? And he said, No, they're under my judgment. I'm like, oops. Okay. Because they're enjoying it too much. They don't want to give it up. And no. then if something happens to them, everyone's like, Oh, come to the funeral, come to the funeral. And what he was telling Jeremiah was, No, don't even cry for them. Don't share a meal with them. Don't mourn because they were against God. All right. You know, bearing witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, that was those of past generations who enjoyed their sin more and had forsaken God's law. And so they killed or persecuted the Lord's people trying to warn them to turn from their wicked ways, essentially sending them to the grave. You read all about that in the Old Testament when it comes to the prophets. You can mock and scoff the prophets all day long trying to warn, but it does not change nor chain down the word of God. And what it says about taking part in or associating with those who engage in such unrighteousness. Yeah. Before you continue, I want to interject that years ago, many years, the Lord made known to me on the subject of abortion, that even agreeing with the idea that a woman should be allowed to have an abortion under any circumstances was enough to make you guilty of the same sin and bring on you the curse of innocent blood, which comes on a person who's had an abortion. That right there is where I learned that if you agree with the sin, you're guilty of that sin too. And you know, that fits in what you were saying earlier about, oh, you know, I can just do this and God won't really judge me and everything will be fine. And, you know, no. You know, I think, I think people who are very loved and very popular down here and they're used to being accepted all the time are so used to just getting by with whatever they do that they think that God will treat them the same way. But God doesn't treat you that way. That's not what he looks at. He don't look at how pretty you are or how handsome. He don't look at how much wealth you have. He looks at your heart and your motivations. And if you line up with his word, you're good. If you don't line up with his word, you're not. Well, you know, a lot of what has misled people, Glenda, is the churchianity, not the faith of Christianity and doing what's right. That That is true. There's so much greasy grace out there that, oh, you can just do anything and it don't matter. It's going to matter. I'm telling you, it's going to matter. It's going to matter whether you're uh, left behind to suffer all the horrors, and it's going to matter when you stand at judgment. And you know, Glenda, it's not, you bring up the abortion, but it's not even just that. It's who you associate with, who you choose to fellowship. If they continue to live in those ways and they know they're doing wrong, but don't even yeah. attempt to turn, they're not even trying to turn away. It's like they just there's willingly a, enjoy it. There's a, script, there's a scripture in the New Testament that says something like, if a brother or a sister, you know, uh, if you reprove them for, I don't know, adultery or something and they stay in it, then, you know, you go to them privately. No, that's the, if you have audience. If there's one in there that says um, if they continue to say they're a Christian, but sin to turn away from it and don't even eat with them. Right. But I can't remember where that is. Well, we're not to have fellowship with them. And, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because speaking of fellowshipping with people you're not supposed to, I had a dream a number of weeks ago. and. I think I told you about this when we talked on the phone when we were preparing for this podcast, but I appeared to be in a club. And I'm pretty sure it was one of those Sodom and Gomorrah type behavior-like places where that kind of behavior is encouraged. And I witnessed a woman, and I knew she was a Christian. She was hanging out with one of her guy friends. And, you know, they were just sitting there having drinks and socializing. And I had this feeling in my spirit that 
it was wrong, and I didn't understand at first as the dream was very short-lived, but I heard, do not associate with them. And this is a point I'd like to make as it relates to being unequally yoked and being complicit or complacent, like I was just mentioning a moment ago. You know, some will use the excuse that Jesus was about unification and not dividing, and he's only about love. And, you know, folks, don't be confused. No, Jesus, not true. Jesus said that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he's going to divide right. those who are truly his from those who are not. And, you know, as believers, we're told to come away from them. You know, those that engage in those sins. Like Glenda was just saying about abortion, you can't say you're against it and then be, oh, but, you know, I understand. It's, it's, no, it's murder. Uh-uh. And you're condoning yeah, it so and you're being complacent with it. And we're told not to be unequally yoked. And I talked about this back in June when I had many rounds on. I'll mention it because I, I, I brought that. I'm like, we're going to be shown to choose continuously. But the Apostle Paul told us, quoting 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 15, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And that's another thing, the lawlessness. That's starting up. going to be a lot of people condoning that. Like, well, it's okay. They did what they had to do to survive. And it's like, no, it's not okay. Stealing is stealing. Lawlessness is lawlessness. But verse 15, and what accord has Christ with Belial? I'm saying that right. Another word for that is the devil. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? In other words, what business do you have living with those who are unbelieving and doing such things that you know are wrong, that you have been taught, you've been raised on morals? You know in the in terms of integrity, what is right in your heart and what you should and should not be doing. So just saying, you know, you got to understand what's right, what's wrong, know where you stand, know who you are choosing to serve now. Don't wait for the judgments to start falling because by then it's going to be too late. Notice verse 14 says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And I have to point out every time I ever heard that talked about, it was in the context of marriage. But that verse actually does not limit it to that. So that means we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers in anything, in business, in anything. We're not to be unequally yoked with them. Like, don't go into business with an unbeliever. And a true believer is not going to fellowship with those living a lifestyle inconsistent with the word. Please remember this because many Christians unknowingly go along with this because they don't feel there's any harm. And it's all about love, but... What they don't understand is they are fellowshipping with a spirit of perversion and it's ungodly or murder or theft or whatever it is. You know, we read in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to accompany with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. This is key. I want to actually start over. Verse 11 is key. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer, a drunkard or an extortioner with such no one not to eat. That's what you were talking about earlier. That's the verse I believe you were looking for, Glenda. You're absolutely right. That was it. And any spirit you fellowship with has the legal right to attach to you. So I'm just saying. Yes. And for those unaware, you have done teachings on that many, many times. So, you know, here's what you have to realize. If you truly love that person, then you should be praying for them to be delivered from the sin. 
not being complicit or complacent in their sin or condoning it. Because to do so, you may as well be doing it yourself. Amen. And we are supposed to judge the fruit, and that is in accordance with what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Everybody's like, oh, you shouldn't judge me. You shouldn't. Yeah, I can judge your fruit. The Bible says for us to do that. That's how we know people, by their fruit. Well, if you're hanging out with rotten people and going to rotten places, I'd say I would say oh, that yeah. the fruit is pretty rotten, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, that's a good way to put that, it. That's just common sense right there. I mean, but you know, the Lord has said time and again, we'll be forced to choose between Jesus and darkness repetitively. Yes, God is love and he loves those who have not yet chosen him. He wants them to choose him and he will create situations that will give them a choice. And you know, Glenda, you were mentioning the idols and how the Lord will stop answering to get his people to turn to him when you mentioned Hosea 5, verse 1 through 15 earlier. Many like to mention God being merciful and that the judgments won't come because of his mercy. But let me ask you, is it merciful to let people walk off the cliff into the pit of hell? True. The Pied Piper is going to be piping and dancing in the world until the very last day. And if God's people continue to follow him as the illusion of being safe, they will be walking right off the edge. Oh, amen. The phrase Pied Piper is a metaphor for a person who attracts a following through charisma or false promises, and the Antichrist will be just like that. Satan's greatest lie is convincing people he don't exist except in cartoons. He wants everybody to believe that nothing will happen, everything is fine, and that is a false promise and a deception that he uses to keep you in sin to the very end. Well, and this is why it's important to people to know true faith aside from churchanity, because the church has turned into a big concert a feel-good, happy place where there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to do it in the right context. But a lot of people go because they like to hear reassurance, like, well, I can keep doing this, and they don't ever want to touch on the sins because that would make them unpopular. Second Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4 say, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Now that's the King James Version. But let's that sounds like the Pied Piper right there, the fables. That's because it is. And that's the King James Version, but now let's look at what the Amplified Translation says. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction, and that's challenging them with God's truth, but wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing. They will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen, they chose them, to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold, and will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions. Pied Piper, anyone? And that means they will accept the unacceptable. You know, that's a refusal to hear the truth of God's word because that would mean they have to make a choice to change their ways. It's like hearing a scripture that says these things will indeed happen, but rather than examining themselves, they turn off the truth and seek out those who tell them what they want to hear. That's exactly what 2 Timothy 3 means when it says they will choose words that satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold. They don't believe the Lord's going to do what he says. It's simple. That's, that's what they're believing. That's the perfect example of following the Pied Piper. So because they have turned their ears away from the truth and wander after that Pied Piper... You know, that's the man-made myths and the fictions that tell them what they want to hear. They'll eventually be given over to it. 
Oh, that is so true. You know, we were discussing earlier that God judges nations in very particular ways, and they appear consistent in Scripture. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you can read all about the judgment on Israel and how Jerusalem was destroyed. We have to remember that Jerusalem is God's favorite city in the entire world. Those were his people, and there was a temple there built in his name, and that was all destroyed. So I just want to say that if he would allow the destruction of a temple with his name on it, in his favorite city in the whole world, and his people, in his home country, he most certainly will not think twice about allowing America and any other nations that have turned from his ways to be destroyed. I'm just saying. And what he says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, says it all. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, they've left me and they put their faith in something that won't work. Now, I'm sure I don't have to tell y'all I am preaching about America there, do I? And you continue on in Jeremiah chapter 2, starting at verse 19 through 20. Your own wickedness shall correct you and your backsliding shall reprove you. Know, therefore, and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that you have forsaken the Lord your God and that my fear is not in you, says the Lord of hosts. For of old time I have broken your yoke and burst your bands, and you said, I will not just transgress, when upon every high hill and under every green tree you wander playing the harlot. What this last paragraph or so means is the Lord set you free from something. You said, okay, I'm going to serve you now, Lord, and then you played the harlot, and you chose everything else over him. We most definitely need to search our hearts and take stock of our behaviors. We need to not only be hearers of the word of God, but also doers, or we will surely be left behind to experience the great tribulation, a real-time horror show at the mercy of the Antichrist. And let me clue you in, he don't have any mercy. Ray, I want to thank you again for all that you contributed to the Esau syndrome. And y'all will probably have one or two more episodes in this about the judgments. It's always a pleasure for the listeners when you guest on JPH Radio. Do you want to give the listeners your contact information? Sure. Well, listeners can contact me by going to uh, my blog, which is innocenceredeemed.blog. And if you scroll to the bottom of the page on the About section, there's a contact form there. And anything you put in there, that goes directly to me. Glenda, thank you very much for having me here today. It's always a blessing being on your show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Jesus bless you all mightily. Y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., Glenda Lomax, P.O. Box 60, Glencoe, Arkansas 72539, or by email at jphtoday at gmail.com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Have you heard? The 2016 and 2017 messages have been published in book form. Even those who do not profess a belief in God can see something is amiss in the world around us. What is coming for our world in these last days? What does the Lord want us doing while we're waiting for His glorious reappearance? 
time of reckoning and soon it will be night each contain approximately 200 prophetic messages and visions from the throne room of God telling what is coming to America and the world in these end times. The Lord has always warned nations when they were headed for destruction. He has always warned His own people. Are we also being warned? Get your copy of Time of Reckoning and Soon It Will Be Night, available now on Amazon.com. What is in store for the once great and mighty nation of America in these end times? What is the living God saying to the people of America now? What could possibly be in store for a nation that once trusted in God, but has changed its path from following in the living God's ways to now removing Him from everything and walking the other way? In the book, No Longer Mind, you will find all the messages to America collected in one place in chronological order. No Longer Mind, Messages to an Unrepentant Nation is now available in print at wingsofprophecy.com in the bookstore tab. Get your copy of No Longer Mind today. If you ask anyone you know what the most difficult experience of their life has been, many will answer about a time of betrayal. All those called to walk the narrow path will, at some point, encounter Judas. How will you respond? Do you know how to recognize Judas when he shows up in your life? Can you keep Judas from bringing destruction to your life and ministry? How can you minimize what Judas cost you? Can you pass the test of absolute betrayal? Get your copy of The Judas Test, available in print and new audiobook. The Judas Test by Glenda Lomax, available now on Amazon.com. Sold out for 30 pieces of silver? In Exodus 21, 32, it is the price of a dead slave. In Leviticus 27, 2-7, it is the price of a live one. Jesus was sold for the price of a bondservant. Precious Jesus, the Son of God. The Prince of Peace? The King of Kings? Why did Judas sell his friend out so cheap?